How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. You know, in this industry of EMS, we're constantly battling and trying to identify ourselves and get that type of position for us as emergency responders and constantly saying we're not just ambulance drivers. So often we speak about unrecognized talents of EMS in this industry and expanding our skill set into other areas of need. And today, we're going to focus on a true success story of how EMS took their assets and developed something really special, which is the New Jersey EMS Task Force. With me today to discuss what the task force is, and more appropriately, what they're doing in this pandemic right now, is Mr. Michael Bascom. Mike is a task force leader as well as the chairman of the board. Mike, welcome to EMS World Podcasts. Mike, thanks for having me. It's a a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, I will say, uh, you know, with full transparency, I am a little bit biased as a leader on the New Jersey EMS Task Force, but I feel like it's really an important podcast to really outline some of these efforts that have been made through the EMS Task Force and some of the things that we've taken on so that it can start to push the profession forward. And having you on, Mike, and being able to outline this and detail some of these things is really important. So thanks for coming on. Like I said, it's my pleasure. Uh, Something that I think uh, we've wanted to get out there for some time is a unique position the task force has taken in advancing EMS in New Jersey. Absolutely. And so, Mike, take me through this. So we started the task force just after 9-11. And and as everybody in the industry knows, pre-9-11, EMS really existed in a vacuum. So everybody was working on their own, agency-specific, no information sharing, no collaboration, Uh, 9-11 hit and we realized we had to change the way that we were doing things. So after 9-11, tell me what happened with respect to the task force. Sure. I think, uh, you know, after uh, 9-11, as you know, uh, one of the original task force leaders and the founder, John Grenboy, came up with the concept of a New Jersey EMS task force based primarily upon his initial observations of, you know, how we responded to September 11th. And, uh, while the response from New Jersey was terrific, um, what we found is what New Jersey does, just like pretty much everywhere else, is the concept of disaster response or mass casualty response is just to throw as many ambulances at it as possible and as many EMTs and paramedics as possible. And the focus really wasn't on all of the uh, key uh, needs that we could uh, support ourselves or, or play a more critical role. Um, and I think. Uh, you know, everybody talks about response and response obviously in the end is 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 key everything you do is to improve your ability to respond uh, i think what we recognized uh, as we started to work through this um, the initial creation of the task force was that preparedness and planning were just as critical as response and actually you know is what made response successful um, so it took a while uh, i think we had our first organizational meeting and i i know your picture's in there. i know you're in the picture uh, February 23rd of 2006, uh, I had a full head of hair in the picture, um, Oof, but, better days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, 
you know, it did take some time. And the original model, like I said, was really uh, conceived to just basically throw task force and strike teams of ambulances at large scale events. And it, um, over time, uh, we were able to uh, perfect the model to really focus on the modular response and, and really utilizing, obviously, the National Incident Management uh, System and, and uh, Incident Command System to come up with a structure that gives us basically a self-supporting, fully comprehensive uh, response to disasters and preparedness uh, for potential disasters. Exactly. And and so I think it comes down to talent and, and potential recognition with respect to the EMS task force. And so many times people say, oh, well, how many ambulances do you have and how many can respond? But like you said, ironically with the EMS task force, and I'll let you um, expand upon how it is broken down, we don't own a single ambulance. <laughs> and I think that that's funny because we are well versed in incident management, uh, in response, in preparedness, in mitigation, and we have quite a few specialized resources. But we are taking the knowledge and the capabilities outside of that regular EMT paramedic type scope. Although we have that integrated, we're looking more at the preparedness and mitigation efforts through the incident command system. So again, tell me how it's made up. How, how is the EMS task force uh, created as far as agencies and personnel? Sure. So, so basically, uh, as, as you know, Michael, the task force that was originally created uh, operated basically as an entity under the State Department of Health, uh, had some loose guidelines and host agencies and, you know, agreements that uh, over time, uh, I think we recognized that there was a need to transition to a more formalized uh, structure. So in February of 2020, we finally became an independent nonprofit corporation. Uh, that doesn't do away with our 16 years of of history and hard work and, and amazing responses and development of plans, but it basically changed our structure. And uh, what we basically have now is a board of directors, which oversees and owns the nonprofit corporation. Um, and that is staffed by some of the uh, most recognized names uh, in New Jersey uh, in EMS. And uh, then on the advisory board side, again, is a, a breakdown of representation from our host agencies, our task force leadership, and our module managers. Um, to say what to explain the host agency portion of this is basically um, our membership, which is about 150 strong at this point, or I'm sorry, 150 who've returned from the original iteration of the task force, uh, who have resubmitted their applications and have been brought back on board, and probably another 50 to 60 uh, new members over the course of these last few months. Um, but basically, um, they work under a structure or table of organization that's modular and uh, purposely modular. Obviously, there's span of control issues and everything else that we want to make sure we address with this modular uh, system. But also, you know, we take advantage of the amazing talent that we found from uh, host agencies and communities all over the state. So basically, if you were to, to run down our table of organization, uh, we have an EMS task force chairperson. Uh, which would be John Grembowick, and a vice chair, which would be, uh, you might have heard of Mickey McCabe. Um, Dr. Vitrano, our medical director, and I'm not going to go through and name every name, but uh, some of these are very important to us. And we liaison directly to the State Department of Health. Um, so we are their partner. Um, we're, we're an entity of the Department of Health when deployed by the Department of Health, but otherwise we operate independently. Um, we have six task force leaders that are broken up into the North Region, Central Region, and South Region of New Jersey. 
whether you believe that there's a North and South Jersey or a Central Jersey or not, uh, we believe in the concept that there's three three regions of New Jersey, um, and we have leaders from each of those regions. And these individuals are basically um, our operational leadership. So when we are deployed, these are the individuals who lead the response. Um, when we are not deployed, these are the individuals who are driving the workload, who are assuring that uh, our preparedness efforts and our planning efforts are moving in the right direction. Um, under that, we have uh, state planners. Um, and this is, uh, we're funded by the hospital preparedness program. And we work in concert with the Department of Health and the New Jersey Hospital Association to work on plans uh, to assure to improve New Jersey's capabilities, uh, to assure that New Jersey's capabilities are spelled out. Um, and, and interesting enough, you know, uh, one of our original plans was a pandemic preparedness plan, uh, which certainly uh, was a great help uh, as COVID began to roll out. Um, but we have four planners. Um, and then we have modules. And each module has a manager and has officers broken down into regions and then obviously has staff that works within that module. Um, first is the logistics module. Um, I, I don't really have to explain what logistics you know, basically does. You know, it's uh, if you look at your typical uh, ICS um, table of organization, you know, you have finance, logistics, operations, and planning. And we certainly have those roles as well. So uh, we have logistics that basically handles all of our equipment and, and is a, a, a core part of our team. We have the communications and technology module. Uh, very important, you know, that we are self-sufficient as far as our ability to communicate. And as you know, in New Jersey, and as you know, um, from every disaster response that's occurred uh, in recent memory, uh, the one weakness that, that repeatedly appears in every after action report is the ability to communicate uh, with those who, who are necessary to communicate with. Uh, by having such a module within the task force, uh, we have, uh, and I'll steal a word from one of our planners, Henry, uh, a very robust capability uh, to be self-dependent and uh, self-sufficient uh, as far as the communications and IT module goes. We also have a staging module you know, where we've developed a statewide staging plan um, so we can uh, basically you know, uh, control our response into any incident uh, to, to assure that it's measured and appropriate for the needs of the incident. Uh, we have a safety module that's obviously key to any incident, um, and they do a wonderful job for us. Uh, medical operations. So this is where most people would think of, you know, the ambulances and throwing, you know, as many ambulances and EMTs in the event as possible. We have a medical operations module, which basically is just that. It is our medical directors, the doctors, the um, EMTs and paramedics that work within that uh, region. Obviously, you know, all of this that we do in response, you know, it's it's critical to have an ability to treat and transport patients. And that's where MedOps uh, comes in. We have a training module, you know, as, as, as you're learning as we go through this, that it's key that uh, we have talented individuals. Um, they come from all, all different parts of the state. So it's key to get them together and to train properly and to ensure that we all have, we meet the same standards um, when, when we're developing uh, our protocols. We have a heli-base module, as you know, uh, over the past few years, New Jersey has developed a robust uh, helicopter program. Um, so this becomes an important element of our preparedness. Finance and administration, you know, we can't get by, obviously, without that module. Uh, we have a HAZTAC and tactical medical module. Those uh, two modules uh, maybe are, you know, as compared to the rest of the team, are more in their infancy, but certainly no less critical 
than any other module of the team. So that basically describes uh, the table of organization of the team. And Mike, I'm not going to lie. It's impressive. You know, I mean, if you sit and you listen to what you just laid out, I think it's really impressive that a state was able to form this with the most qualified and most brilliant providers within that state. And the ability that to come together and and do this, and in many cases, let's just be honest, there's not a lot of guts and glory for these folks. They work tirelessly. Um, they do it without, without a lot of fanfare. And in many respects, without a lot of recognition. We know it's been a struggle for the task force for quite some time to get recognition, but that has changed. And that's what I wanted to lead into now as far as how important has the task force become to the state of New Jersey and, and outside, abroad? I'm go- I want you to take us through some of those deployments that have occurred, that are occurring right now with this pandemic and have occurred in the past with you know the Virgin Islands and hurricanes. Well, Michael, if you, if you don't mind, if I just take uh, one quick minute and just talk about the history of deployments for the task force um, and bring you to where we are today, um, you'll see some consistency and then you'll also see uh, the level of importance that... Uh, the state has recognized the value they've recognized in the task force and obviously the investment they've made in us uh, as we would not be able to survive if it were not for the support of the state. Um, but if you go back, Mike, you know, uh, we were originally being deployed to forest fires, floods as a result of uh, tropical storms, uh, Ebola preparedness. Uh, Superstorm Sandy was one of our larger responses, more significant responses. We've evacuated hospitals and long term care facilities pretty regularly. Uh, we, we, uh, supported the the papal visit uh we we uh planned and and supported super bowl 48 we responded to the miracle on the hudson uh you remember that one pretty well (laughs) um the uh and and some of our greatest accomplishments really have been the development of plans that have proven critical in our success and in the success of the state's response uh over the past several years and if you go back uh, in these planning efforts, you know, it sounds easy to say, oh, we develop a plan. If, you know, to really understand the process that, that we go through to assure that our plan is accurate and that we have buy-in from our partner agencies and uh, that we're accurately describing our capabilities and the capabilities of our partner entities, um, it's, it's really a much larger accomplishment than it seems. Um, but we've developed over time just a small sampling. Our healthcare facility evacuation plan, which we use regularly, has been used in uh, virtually every type of response uh, we've been asked to uh, participate in. Our incident rehab plan, our staging area management plan, our pandemic flu plan, our EMAC plan, plans for ferry terminals, plans for major train stations, rail stations. As you know, you know New Jersey is a very uh, densely populated state. Uh, we're one of the most. Uh, let's see, we're we're on the list of states that are you know most dangerous to live. We have a lot of hazards. Um, and we've developed uh, our plans to address the hazards that we face. The tropical storm response plan has been used repeatedly, and not just for tropical storms. It's you know as you as you look at these plans and and recognize how they can be utilized in other situations or situations we hadn't thought of. Um, they've proven very helpful. So that brings us to today. You know today um, we're working uh, hand in hand with the State Department of Health uh, in the uh, COVID response efforts. And initially, our efforts, uh, we became a, a key portion of the state's capability to uh, provide mass testing uh, for our for our state, for the residents of our state, and to supply our first responders with the critical PPE. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, you know, 
soon after COVID came about, that we went to an immediate PPE shortage. And uh, thanks to the task forces and the state OEM and state uh, Department of Health, uh, thanks to their efforts, uh, you know, we were able to quickly secure some of the key PPE that was necessary to assure that our uh, EMS agencies could continue to respond. Um, and that was a, a very critical role. Uh, what we also did was basically fill the logistics positions at each of the state's uh, mass testing centers. Um, so this was a critical role that was filled day after day for months by task force membership. Um, and uh, it helped lend, I won't, I won't say that, you know, the task force was the reason why the state's program was successful, but I will say that we played a role and uh, it was an important role. And uh, I think the state has recognized that. And uh, I think that helped. Uh, it was uh, immediately after our transition to a nonprofit and it immediately, we were immediately thrust, you know, uh, in February, we became a nonprofit entity. And in March, we were participating as a partner entity with the Department of Health. Uh, so before we could even finalize the plans on how that would all work, we were doing it. So now we're looked at as a, uh, a partner of the Department of Health, them looking to task us with, with certain responsibilities. But we're also now in partnership with the Visiting Nurse Association of New Jersey, assisting them with uh, vaccination sites, as well as the possibility of running our own vaccination site in the state of New Jersey, correct? So that is correct. Uh, you know, the Visiting Nurse Association reached out to us early on as they were standing up their vaccination sites. They looked to us uh, to develop their plan. And that was really the first step. We developed the concept of operations as to how they would be able to uh, provide vaccinations to those they typically serve and then to the larger community at large, at large uh, in their five facilities in Monmouth County. Uh, we immediately became a partner with the visiting nurses through that planning effort. Uh, we recognized that there was uh, areas where they were uh, unable to uh, identify the capacity within their entity uh, to fulfill certain jobs. So the task force was able to assign personnel to fill those jobs. Um, and now we're talking about bigger and better things with the Visiting Nurses Association, which would include uh, the possibility of a first responder only vaccination site, or maybe not first responder only, but giving first responders priority at certain vaccination sites. And the, we're in the initial discussions about working under the Visiting Nurse Association to deploy a vaccination site that would be fully staffed by the New Jersey EMS Task Force. So we would fill every role uh, to help increase uh, the capacity for not just the visiting nurses, but the state of New Jersey to get vaccination into arms in all communities throughout the state. Mike, the, the capabilities of the EMS Task Force from New Jersey aren't just recognized in the state of New Jersey. Why don't you just close here, explain what we did uh, as a task force to assist the USVI after they were ravaged by those hurricanes? Sure. Um, that was the first uh, deployment of resources from New Jersey uh, off the continental United States to assist uh, another U.S. territory. And we're very proud to be part of that deployment. Um, after two Category 5 hurricanes decimated uh, the islands of St. Thomas and St. John's, um, basically uh, destroying their hospital, ravaging their EMS system, um, they had gone probably a month um, with paramedics working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, sleeping in their ambulances, sleeping in their cars, just to try to continue to keep the 911 services alive um, and having virtually nowhere to bring them 
once they did have uh, treat a patient. Um, we were asked to come in and, and support that uh, process. And basically, uh, you know, we had to come in and be completely self-sufficient in a location that was completely destroyed. No power, roadways are blocked, uh, waterways are blocked, uh, the airport is destroyed. Uh, you know, very, uh, very small uh, capability to uh, provide the resources necessary even to, for basic survival. Um, and we were, able, we were able to play a role in, you know, we were brought along to, to focus on uh, the 911 response, to, to bolster the 911 response and to recreate the 911 response on St. John. Uh, as that was uh, decimated by the uh, storms and and left uh, virtually uncovered. Um, so in addition to providing EMS response while we were there, we found uh, that we were able to fill other roles, uh, such as uh, assisting the hospital and, and repairing some things to become a little bit more operational, getting out in the community, doing community outreach, um, doing some uh, you know, health assessments and things of that nature, getting out to senior centers, uh, to evacuation centers. Uh, we assisted in actually uh, bringing patients back from evacuation centers back to their uh, care facilities and homes uh, after the storm. It was, uh, it was an eye-opening response. Uh, we played a critical role. We had intended to be there for two weeks. Uh, we ended up doing three deployments total. Um, I know uh, the deployment that I participated in ended up staying an extra week. Uh, before uh, we were replaced with the next deployment. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, at, at each level, each deployment of resources to the Virgin Islands uh, expanded the scope of, of what we were able to, to do for the Virgin Islands. And we're very thankful for the partnership we have now with the Virgin Islands Department of Health and their emergency medical services. Um, and we're actually in conversation with their Department of Health and FEMA, and apparently supported by the CDC, uh, to be considered um, to come to the islands uh, sometime in the very near future to help them build their uh, capability or capacity to get vaccinations to those who are homebound. Um, I believe, uh, as I understand it, the Virgin Islands uh, has a plan for setting up regional vaccination sites. However, their shortfall is in being able to get to those who are homebound or, or uh, or living in a long-term care facility, or are separate, uh, unable to get to the metropolitan areas where vaccination is being provided. Um, so we are considering and planning for, at this point, a possible deployment to the Virgin Islands to do a mobile vaccine, to build a mobile vaccination capability, in addition to assisting them with uh, their financial roles as far as uh, personnel management, grants management, and overhead administrative assignments. Um, you know, keeping in mind uh, they are once again facing uh, a, a disaster type of situation, an emergency situation, and they're, uh, you know, they're very isolated and they're very dependent upon the mainland to get things to them, uh, to assist them during disasters like this. Busy times, Mike, and, and imagine that, um, you know, the task force is collateral duty for all. We have our home agencies and, and we have our responsibilities, but somehow we find ways to get this done. And it's really impressive, and I, I really do appreciate you coming on with us today, not just to explain a little bit about the New Jersey EMS Task Force, but really to focus more on the comprehensive value 
that EMS has as an industry and what we can offer. And this just highlights some of that, you know, with what has been accomplished with the New Jersey EMS Task Force. But EMS in general has great minds and trying to expand the roles and the duties of EMS is not always easy. But there are incredible providers out there doing this. And this is just one of those examples. So again, we push for EMS uh, in this industry to to further their capabilities, to get out there and to do some of these things outside of the comfort zone and show that it absolutely makes a difference. So Mike, again, I thank you for coming on. Um, and if anybody wants more information on the, on the New Jersey EMS Task Force, they can visit njemstf.org. And again, Mike, I want to thank you uh, for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Mike, thanks for having me. And uh, I know this sounds a little hokey, but I've always recognized that New Jersey's had great talent in the EMS community. Um, but I, I can't think of anybody more talented and more dedicated than those who uh, participate in the task force. We'd be nothing without our team. Uh, and you yourself are a critical role in that. Thanks, pal. And thank you for listening. This is another episode of EMS World Podcasts. And just a reminder to mark your calendars for October 4th through the 8th in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia for EMS World Expo. We will see you there. Again, I'm Mike McCabe. Thanks again. And we'll see you on the next episode of EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 